tell. Hello. Use the false loop. Mr. John Marshall. Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. What's up now? Spider friends, go for it. Transform and roll out. And I'll form the head. That's what she said. Don't. Hey, this is Jonathan. And this is Alan, and welcome to the Nerdy Podcast. Jonathan, what are we talking about today? Alan, today we're going to be speaking about some of our favorite or most memorable comic book storylines. Nice. Yes. This brought uh, back I, a lot of good memories, by the way. Yeah, what was funny is when we were talking about our topic, I like three of my four immediately jumped into my head. And what I noticed quickly about them was they weren't big events. They weren't... Um, uh, you know, they're not kind of the most well-known storylines, but I remember the, the impact they had on me um, in terms of, like, when I got done reading, I was like, oh, man, that was great. Or they just <laughs> had some mem- memorable scenes in them. And I figured, oh, I can't wait to share these with Alan and, and the, the rest of the uh, the listening audience because I, I want I literally want people to go out and either find, if they're in trade paperbacks, to find these stories I'm going to talk about in trade paperback or to buy them in individual issues very cool i think i made my decision when i would think back like what was that one storyline or book where i I think i read it you know numerous times like i I would read it then i would reread it again and then pick it up again and then buy it in trade paperback and then read it again you know those are that was i think how i made my thought process because man there's a lot of good storylines and the funny thing is it seems like you know I guess for me, a lot of the really good storylines happened maybe in the 80s, maybe somewhere yeah, well, in the 90s, well, but there was a lot in the 80s that just really resonated with me. Right. I, I started reading in 84-ish consistently. Like I had owned comic books up to that point, but I didn't become like a weekly buyer of comics and reader of comics until about 1984. And I stopped maybe um, early 2000s. It started to taper off and things like that. So most of my stories are going to come from the 80s, if not all of them, actually. And yeah, I mean, the 90s had great. Well, the 90s went through this whole, you know, uh, where the art was was in charge and, mm-hmm. and story. You know, everybody's wearing pouches and being <laughs> being uh, dark. I don't even know if dark is the right word. What, what, like extreme. That's the word I'm looking for. <laughs> like, all the heroes became extreme, and you know. Um, so yeah, the, the writing definitely suffered in the 90s. Right. (laughs) You know, you want to talk about from like 84 to 94 and then probably from like 2002, you know, when when already bounced back from it. (laughs) Sure. Okay. Would you like to go first? Sure. Okay. I'm going to start with a comic that I think was very difficult to write. And it only had one writer its whole run, its whole first volume one run. And uh, it ran for about 150 issues. And I think it was difficult to write because our Wait, say it again? It went for 150 issues? Yes. That's one hell of a (laughs) storyline. No, not the whole storyline. No, the the comic itself. Oh, oh, okay. I'm sorry. The title went for 150 issues, and it was written by the same guy for all 150 issues. And I think his job was a little bit more harder than the other writers because he was – more or less forced to introduce new characters in almost every issue. Can I guess a writer? Uh, sure. John Byrne? No. Okay. I'll give you. I'll give you a hint. He, he was forced to add new characters almost every issue, and he was forced to do this by a toy company. Oh, um, Larry Hama. It, you're correct. Larry Hama, writer of GI Joe. Boom. So I I always found his writing really good because every every time a new character had to be introduced he had to explain who they are and why they were there um but he was able to definitely weave it into the storylines so the storyline in particular i'm talking about is it doesn't have an overarching title it's kind of uh it's issues 47 through 50 with um issue 50 being the invasion of springfield um now springfield was set up to be the hometown of cobra Okay. Right. Um, and long before the Simpsons started doing it, Larry Hamill was doing it. He he named it Springfield because there are so many Springfields in the United States that nobody ever knew what particular state 
this Springfield was in. And even G.I. Joe could never track down um, Cobra or their Springfield, per se. And, and Cobra had taken over the whole town. Like, the whole town was the terrorist organization, and, you know, the, the soldiers and a lot lived in the town. And they had, you know, it looked like a regular town if you were driving through it. But, uh, you know, undercover, you know, had, like, under underground bases and, you know, his tanks and fang helicopters <laughs> all over the place. Um, but everybody in the town was part of Cobra from, you know, the high school kids and all the other stuff on up. So uh, what happens is in, I, I think, issue 47, Ripcord gets captured by um, Zartan. And Zartan takes his place and returns to, to find out where G.I. Joe headquarters is. He pretends to be an injured Ripcord. And, you know, the Joes, you know, quote unquote, rescue him and take him back to the pit, which is located in New Jersey, actually. And uh, Ripcord winds up being a prisoner of Cobra, but he he breaks out dressed as Zartan, even fooling fooling Red Knox. So there's one scene in 48, I think, issue 48, where he's on the phone calling them. And then you see Breaker be like, we've done it. We've got the hideout of Cobra. And Duke and, and Lieutenant uh, Colonel Hawk, uh, whoever Hawk, whatever rank Hawk was, General Hawk, Hawk and um, Duke are just like, all right, Joe's man up. And uh, Duke gives this great big speech, uh, or Hawk, Hawk does one of them. They're both blonde and they're both commanders. <laughs> um, <laughs> gives this great speech about they're like, all the Joes, you're in on this. Like some of you are new to the team, you're coming. Some of you are injured reserve, you're coming. Uh, all the Joes are going to be in this. Are, are going to be in this. We're going to take Cobra down. We're going to take Springfield. And it actually starts in issue 49, uh, the invasion of Springfield. And it's so great because the Joes are split into three different teams. There's a there's an assault team, there's a, a, a security team, and I think an infiltration team, which is like the cool, the badass team. It's Stark, the Stalker, Snake Eyes, Scarlet, Torpedo. For some reason, um, just a quick <laughs> kick. Yeah. So it's just a great, great four issues. Uh, it's the rise of Serpentor. Serpentor is created and cloned in issue 49, comes to life. And 50 is excellent because in that issue, it's when the Joes are really pushing through the, through the city of Springfield, trying to get the Cobra head command. And their Cobra's getting beat back, but Serpentor you know, rises at the end of 49. And in 50, he's rallying the troops and everybody's, you know, because, you know, Serpentor's backstory is he's made up of the DNA of all these other uh, famous leaders, Genghis Khan and so on and so forth. So he, he comes off as very magnetic and very, you know, he energizes the troops and he rallies the Cobras that were running away. And he, he, he pushes them back to the point where, yes, G.I. Joe takes Springfield, but all the, all the major people in Cobra are able to get away because of Serpentor's holding action. Dude, that's exciting. It's a great <clears throat> four-ish. It really is. It's so much fun. And, and, you know, as a fan of the toys, as well as the comics, like, they, they fit in almost all the G.I. Joe uh, toy, you know, uh, vehicles and stuff. They had to, almost all every Joe at the time that existed up to issue fifty was in it. It was just really, That's really huge. great writing. Yeah, yeah. So how long did uh, did Hammer wrote the whole entire series? I believe so. Yeah. That's insane. And he also did um, issue fifty was was a double size because it was the fiftieth anniversary of all that anniversary, but fiftieth issue and um, the backup story was. Uh, called G.I. Joe Special Missions because they spun out. Uh, G.I. Joe actually had two books going at one point. They had the regular G.I. Joe and they had Special Missions, which was just like uh, special teams of, of Joes going on secret missions. So with this storyline, and I know I know you have a lot of, you had a lot of the Joes. Did you mm -hmm. ever try and reenact this storyline with your toys? No, I never did. The thing is I had the, uh, there was never, until the Terror Dome, which I never got, there was never like a Cobra base. But I always had the G.I. Joe base for a long time, and I would just, I would just, you know, have a Cobra attacking the base constantly. <laughs> That's what I did. Yeah. And then I would use my, my Star Wars figures would be, my old Star Wars figures would be Joes that were captured by Cobra. Oh. <laughs> yeah, Cobra would torture them and, and, you know, somehow they got caught on fire and melted and things like that. So, <laughs> Did you have a lot of the Cobra soldiers? I didn't. I, I didn't army build. Like, that never made sense. Like, I didn't, never thought about that. Right. It was like having doubles. So right, yeah. I was like, oh, I'm like, why would I buy doubles? You know, you know, why would you get another Cobra soldier if, if you get a Joe you, you didn't have yet? You know what I mean? Right. So, um, yeah, I never army built. I, you know, I had one, you know, even with the, with the um, Star Wars, I had one Stormtrooper, one Hawthrooper. <laughs> <laughs> you know, 
the only, the only reason I had more than one rebel was because my uh, remember I told that story. My aunt buy me three half hand solos. Oh right, so I just kept. <laughs> um, <I had> one <laughs> in the comic book itself. Did you have a favorite character from the book? Well, what was great about the comic was uh, Snake Eyes and Scarlet were like the main couple, and they they really built Snake Eyes up to be the, the mysterious, which we'll call it, a mm-hmm. mysteri- mysterious stranger or whatever. And and Storm Shadow actually gets killed in episode in, in issue forty seven by the Baroness. She just unloads a whole magazine into him. Dang, it's fantastic. And then he gets brought back to life. But he's like a weird, like, what has happened to me? Like, because so, he had kind of wandered on the side of the good, and I think they kind of wanted to move him back toward the evil side. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, 50 opens with uh, Scarlet slung over Snake Eye's shoulders and Wakando being helped along by Beachhead and um, Footloose. And, and they're saying, Stalker, Wakando, and Scarlet need a med- med- medvac ASAP. We got shake these cobras and make a run for the airport so the infiltration team was being you know pushed back mm-hmm. um and serpentor was leading the charge and that's another thing too you're seeing snake eyes team getting pushed back you know when they were the ones you know moving forward and stuff like that um yeah it was just a good just a, just a great all i mean larry hammond's military knowledge you know the terminologies in the story the even the um uh, what am I trying to say? The uh, the moves they make, what is that called? The strategies they use, I guess. Mm-hmm. Kind of makes sense. And you know, there's a scene where a cobra where a cobra soldier gets shot, and Serpentor runs out into the field of fire to pick him up, and he gives this big speech about how we don't leave anybody behind. Wow. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty cool. So, so you know, GI Joe was huge during that time period, and it kind of when it it coincided with the cartoon. So, how did you feel in the cartoon? It almost seemed like they were trying to hook up Duke and Scarlet. I don't like it. They didn't like it. Okay. <laughs> yeah. They well, you know, they paid they played um Snake Eyes as, you know, just kinda like the quiet dude and, right. and maybe because he couldn't talk, it was kinda hard to make him have the love connection with uh <laughs> with uh Scarlet. But it was always Scarlet and um Snake, Snake Eyes. Eyes in the comic. Yeah. Well, this came out in nineteen eighty six. Well what's funny is, you know, my introduction to G. I. Joe was the cartoon first so when i read the comic book i was like hey what the hell why is snake eye hooking up with scarlet i didn't understand what's going on you know even now when i read the trade paperback because i think i got the first two collected um i'm not too sure how many issues it encompassed but uh even till now like does it make sense to me why snake eyes is hooked up with scarlet well who, who yeah. does who does duke hook up with in the comic books Lady J? No one. Nobody. No one, because they didn't really, yeah, no, they didn't really, the comics didn't really deal with a lot of relationships. Mm. You know, like Flint, I think maybe Flint and Lady J were, were a couple. But I will tell you that there was a, uh, uh, Larry Hammer got an edict from someone, either Marvel or the toy companies, around issue 105 to 110 or 113, that there are too many Joes. And he just goes on a rampage. Like, Larry Hammer just grand killing Joes. <laughs> it's insane. And some of them are killed brutally. <laughs> yeah, like he kills the whole Task Force 2000, whatever. They were like the, there were toys that were introduced. They were like flew a space shuttle and they had, oh, Battletech maybe. Yeah. Battletech 2000, I think they were called. They all got, Doc, Doc gets shot in the face. <laughs> yeah, it's, terrible. it's crazy. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I'm going to have to lend you some of these issues so you can read them. It's just brutal. That's nuts. And it's funny because it's done by mistake because Cobras, Cobras, like they captured all these Joes. And Tomax is saying, like, well, what are we going to do with them? And, and Snake Eyes is, is coming personally after Cobra Commander. And, and Cobra Commander is scared, so he's, like, retreating. He's like, he's like, I don't, I don't want Snake Eyes to know we got these guys. He, he, he goes, get rid of them. <laughs> and they're like, what? He's like, you heard me get rid of them. And he meant free them, right? Right. <laughs> so Tomax is like, all right, you heard the commander. And they send the, uh, the saw viper, which is, like, a heavy machine gun, the saw. Uh, to just go into the pit and lay them in because they were like big prisoners in a pit. I'll, I'll send it to you. You'll like it. Well, you know what, what sucked about that is, is that you got these long-running um, G.I. Joes, and like you said, the guy just comes over and just mows them down, just like that. Yeah, I think your favorite dies. It's like, yeah, shoots them. They were like down in the pit, right? Yeah, did, did you did I, did I you read this already? Did I yeah. Them to your... We did oh, a okay. podcast on this. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's been over a year, man. We talk about a lot of stuff. <laughs> yeah, I know. You're right. Yeah, I think I, I read like all hundred uh, uh, books in like uh, in a weekend or something. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He just he just mows them down. He shoots Doc in the face. Breaker gets killed. Breaker. Um, 
and to be fair, there was redundancies. Like there were two communication officers, there were like two medics, there was two, you know, two or three airborne guys. So they, they probably felt they needed to thin the herd. <laughs> Man, they did a Thanos on them. <laughs> they got rid of yeah. half. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah, but the, but the, the best thing about issue fifty, and I remember thinking, is I'm like, well, I mean, I'm like, because you think GI Joe is gonna win, and I mean, they kind of win. They get the city, but Cobra, for all intents and purposes. You know the uh, the football field, the high schools. You know, is actually a um, underneath the football field. It's almost like an aircraft carrier where the uh, the elevators come up and bring up the helicopters and all that. Mm-hmm. So it's like uh, Cobra escapes. They get Springfield, but you know, did they really do anything worthwhile? Because they didn't they didn't catch any of the big wigs. They didn't get um, you know uh, a lot of the equipment or anything. They but they did get this. They did get the town of Springfield. Right. So, cool. Yeah. That's a that's awesome. Yeah, Larry Hammond was the man. He's 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 an awesome dude. Yeah, do you, I don't think he does. Does he do anything nowadays? You know, I saw him at East Coast Com last year. Hmm. And he was doing something. Well, he was. He took a picture of me for free. He was cool about that. Oh, right on. And I didn't have anything for him to autograph. So what a guy. Um, yep. Yeah, I'm surprised you don't have one of those snake eyes tattoos on your forearm. Those little. You know, that little pattern that the ninjas oh, have. Oh, no, you know me as tattoos. I went through a little <laughs> things. All right. Very good. Very, very cool. Okay. My next one. Um, this book came out in February of 77. So obviously I didn't buy this when it first came out. But the reason why this resonates with me is is when I was a kid, I was in the next town over in Bergenfield, Jersey. And they had, you know, sidewalk sales. They haven't had them in the summertime. And one of them was a like a it was like a comic book store, like record store, poster store, like all those things. And I was thumbing through the the, the back issues and stuff, and I saw this particular comic book. And you know, at the time, I didn't realize that these things had value to them. Like, you know, I, I thought everything was cover price, you know. And so mm-hmm. I, I picked up the comic book. It's What If Spider Man number one, and uh, I remember, like, I had a I had. Like, I'm going to pay the guy. The guy's like, eight bucks. I'm like, what? <laughs> like, my heart sunk. And I was, <laughs> you know, I was a kid. I was like, I don't know. I must have been like seven. I couldn't open my mouth like, no, thank you. You know, I was ready. To pre- I was prepared to pay 50 cents, right, for the cover of the book. Right, right. So I remember I, I gave I gave him, like, my money. And I just remember, like, I'm sunk. I can't buy anything else for the rest of the rest of the day because I'm, all my money went to this stupid comic book. So... <laughs> I never told my mom. I told my mom, oh, yeah, look, mom, I got this comic for 50 cents. <laughs> you know, so. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, this story w- was written. It's it's the first in, in a line of comic books that Marvel did called the What If series. And it's basically just an alternative to the story of something that may have been established before. It's just a different idea. It's a self-contained story. And the gist of it is, is that, you know, they have the original Fantastic Four, which had Reed Richards, Sue Storm, Johnny Storm and the Think, and they have, you know, their little group. And at the same time, you know, Peter Parker was just this nobody. He was always alone, didn't have a budget, didn't have anyone bankrolling his his um, crime fighting days. And uh, so he just says, "Hey, maybe I, maybe I can join the Fantastic Four. And so, uh, you know, they kind of do, and, and they, they let him join, and they, they go on these missions and stuff. And then one day they, they want to go out. I think they had to go out into space, and they had to leave Sue Richards behind, who is Reed Richards. I don't know if they were married at that time. No, they, I don't think no so. probably not, right? Sue Storm. No. no, no, she wasn't. Yeah, so she's still they're they're dating, right? And um, meanwhile, while they're in space, Prince Namor comes and abducts her and brings her down to the ocean. Long story short, the Fantastic Four come back and they go look for Sue. She isn't there, so they go to Namor, and there she is. And basically, she really had to pick between Namor and Reed Richards, or else the Fantastic Four was going to die. And Susan says, it should be my decision. I should pick, not you guys, you guys fighting over me. And she says, I choose Namor. And I remember as a kid, like, what is going on? <laughs> you know? And she, she says it. She gives her reasoning. She says something like, Reed, you you never pay attention to me. You're always, like, off doing your thing. You go on these missions. You're always in your lab. 
but you never give me the time of day, basically, you know? And here's Namor, you know, like, I'm here for you. I'm going to be your man. And so she goes into this chamber to this thing where, you know, she can't breathe oxygen anymore. She has to drink, uh, breathe water. And boom, that happens. It's kind of like, you know, Superman number two, where where uh, Superman changes to a normal person. But anyway, that's what happens. And then, you know, the Fantastic Four go back home. And Peter Parker's like, man, you know, if I never joined this team, this this would never happen. And I think Johnny consoles him and says, hey, you know, this is, this is the way it was meant to be. And all these stories always end with, uh, the Watcher. Is that his name? Yuatu? Yeah, I think so. Well, yeah, and he's basically just saying, well, this is a story. And, and you know, it, it's not, you know, continuity, obviously, but um, it's just an alternative. What if the Fantastic Four, uh, Spider-Man enjoyed the Fantastic Four, which is pretty cool. So as a kid, my buddy, my old buddy, Albert, who I grew up with, he was a big Human Torch fan, and I was a Spider-Man fan. So this book kind of resonated because our, our two favorite heroes are in the same book. So Right. Yeah, and so they did. They change their name to um, the Fantastic Five. Uh, uh, well, yeah, until Sue left. <laughs> until Sue left, yeah, because I remember Spider Man. You know, he has that little spider sign in his chest. There's like a little number five on it and stuff. So, <laughs> yeah, well, that was well, that was what was great about uh, what if they would take established stories because I think that was actually I think the plot of Spider Man number two, Amazing Spider Man number two, I believe, uh, or even number one because he came in Amazing Fantasy. You know what? You know where he actually tries to join a Fantastic Four. Oh but yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. They turned them down in the regular continuity. Yeah. Um. So he, uh, you know, this is the one. And that's what was great about what else. They kind of give you different side of the stories. And, you know, that was what was cool about Uatu, about being him being a watcher. And that was the uh, the theory of Stan Lee. That, you know, the watchers were a race of beings that would um, watch the, the, the evolution and development of and the important events of, of planets. And Uatu is the, you know, the watcher of Earth. And they're not allowed to intercede or get in the middle of, of anything that happens, although Uatu does a lot. Um and then, so Which in the Marvel, Marvel movies, oh yeah, okay, good. No, I was going to ask the same thing. Well, in the Marvel movies, the, the, because Stan Lee was showing up everywhere, they were saying, "Oh, he's a watcher. He's watching these important events unfold on Earth." Um, and then they kind of played into that in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two, when Stan Lee's on like an asteroid talking to there you go. what they look like the, the aliens that look like what the Watchers in the in the comic book. Yeah. So. Yeah. That's pretty cool. But yeah, I, lo- I loved what effect. I, I I love those alternative history things, and it's just nice to see different the stories how they go in different ways. And the funny thing about what if is almost all the stories end like sadly. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, see, you have to appreciate the regular timeline because good stuff happened, you know? Yeah. Yeah, but, I think uh, they even had like, what if uh, Spider-Man married. The Black Cat, I think. Black Cat, yeah. yeah they, had they had that had, one. Mm-hmm. They had what if he, he did it. The funny thing is also about some of the what ifs is they eventually became real stories. Like what if Peter hadn't mar- married Mary Jane, oh, which yeah. happened after one day more. What if uh, the clone, Spider-Man's clone lived? Right. Which, you know, that came back <laughs> to haunt them. Exactly. You know. Hey, what was the um, difference between what if and what the? Was what the more of like a comedy thing? Yeah, what the was like a, a humor magazine. Oh, that was dumb. Yeah. I never read what the. Neither did I. But there was a whole bunch of things, especially with the big events. With the you know when, like Inferno, X Men is like what if Wolverine had been, you know, King of the Vampires in Inferno or right. Armor Wars, like what if Iron Man had turned traitor? Mm-hmm. Just things, just just cool stories like that. But yeah, and you know they bring it back every once in a while. I think last year they released like five one shots of what if what if you know, uh, Secret Wars, whatever. Yeah, happen. it's it's definitely come and go over the years, um, but the the original ones were really were really cool. I really liked them a lot. What's neat is that if you have that app, Comicsology, I mean, the, all these books that we're talking about, they were all there, which is pretty neat. Now, do you still have your what if number one? Uh, probably not. I think no. that went up in flames. Do you remember like keeping it? You know, you paid eight dollars for it. Do you remember keeping it? Like, well, let me ask you this: as a kid, did you after you read it, were you like, "All right, that was worth eight dollars"? Were you okay with it, or did you feel guilty about spending eight dollars? Uh, that that listen, dude. There are a lot of memories you have in your life. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that there are, there are. Let's see, etched in your brain when when there is an emotional connection to it. That emotional connection was oh f. I just spent eight dollars on a comic <laughs> book, and I was so petrified to tell my mom. 
that that's what's etched, etched in my brain. But no, no, no. It, but like, yeah, you're right. It is a great. It's a fun story. I think about it a lot. Like those first, I remember that one. Hulk 261 was the very first comic book that I remember reading as a kid. So when I go to comic book conventions, I look for that stupid one. And my daughter knows to look for it too. And she's like, well, why? You, you found one at the last comic con. I said, yeah, I'm trying to like steal all of them. Yeah, I want to I want to own all the Hulk 261s. Oh, do you? Really? That's funny. Yeah, I, I always look. That's the first thing I go for at a comic book convention is look for Hulk 261. And do you? How many do you have? Oh, maybe three. Or and different different uh, different levels of condition. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't. I can care less how bad. I mean, usually you can get them pretty cheap. It's it so was if you a, find it, you'll buy it. Yeah, I mean, it's the art was not great. I mean, most of the issues that you you get, it smells like mold. I mean, <laughs> they're like really old books, but uh, mm-hmm. the, it's a cool storyline. I won't get into it now, but it, it is a pretty neat storyline. And you fight the absorbing man. Yeah, yeah. Oh, did you, oh, you just look I'm it looking up? at it. Oh, okay. Yeah. I was like, well, how did you know that? I got <laughs> yeah, the world in front of me. <laughs> there's this cool scene where Bruce Banner is crawling through this little, like, little tunnel. It gets smaller and smaller, and I don't know who wrote it, but all I remember is that you get that sense of claustrophobia. Like he couldn't, he's literally stuck in the mountain as he goes deeper and deeper. And right behind me is the absorbing man grabbing his legs. And Ooh. then boom, the hole comes out. Oh, it was awesome. <laughs> Old gangry. Yeah. So that's cool. I, you know, I never thought to do something like that. I would have to buy, huh, I don't know. I just have to think on that. All right. Very cool. Yeah. A little what if. All right, yeah. my next one. Do it. Um, let's see. I'll go it. This is when um, the Avengers were just, for me, were clicking on all cylinders. And the sad part is this story, after the stories, they really took a nosedive um, with, the, with the team members and the writing. And it just, I don't know what happened. But it's Avengers 273 to 277. And I think you... I think you know. I think you bought the trade paperback. It's uh, Under Siege. It's when the Masters oh, of Evils. That's a good one. Yeah. It's when the Masters of Evils under Baron Zemo formed to um, just attack Avengers Mansion and take everybody out. And it was so good. So well written. Written by Roger Stern with art by John Buscema. Uh, just a great, great comic. It was... Um, the funny thing is, it was the seeds of the storyline were being sown, sown throughout many issues before that, but it officially starts in 277. And so you have Baron Zemo, it's Baron Zemo, Moonstone, Atlas, Tiger Shark, um, Grey Gargoyle, but he actually gets captured b- before the, the big part of the story. Uh, uh, the Wrecking Crew, which is, you know, Thunderball, Bulldozer, Wrecker, uh, Mr. Hyde. It's it just, it's insane the amount of bad guys they had in this. Um, and they start their plan by, uh, I think it was, uh, Screaming Mimi was part of it. I think it starts with um, one of the female villains, like, coming on the, the Hercules at a bar and just getting him, like, super drunk. Mm-hmm. Um, so that when he gets back to the uh, mansion, he's like really really drunk and they just clobber the crap out like they gang up on it beat the living hell out of them and it's it it was a sight to see um <laughs> they also mr hyde they capture jarvis and mr hyde beats him in front of captain america to within and they capture captain america and and they beat uh jarvis to within an inch of his life they beat like, the literally, piss out of him yeah literally he's he's like a rag doll he's got him by the leg and just like fling him around the room um, it's just just great, great story where the Avengers are knocked out, knocked out, and you don't know what they're gonna do. I think only the Wasp and the Black Knight. Or, no, actually, the Black Knight gets in the, the mansion because they kind of shut it down with blackout. Mm-hmm. And um, the Black Knight gets in, and he gets his butt kicked. And I think it was the Wasp, and I can't remember. Oh, Paladin maybe helped. And Doctor Druid came to help. Um, and the, the one scene where I think Baron Zemo finds Cap's old shield, the triangular shield, and crushes it in front of him. Right. And um, you know, it's just great. And the, there's the one which is 279, I think, or 278, where uh, Thor comes back from wherever he was, 
and he's leading uh, Captain Marvel, the one who could turn into light. 276. Captain Marvel, Captain America, Black Knight, and Dr. Druid back into Avengers Mansion. And the cover just says, Masters of Evil, beware. They're not called the Avengers for nothing. I was like, <laughs> what? <laughs> How fun. Yeah. That's yeah, awesome. and I think I think one of the best things to come out, and at the you know the last episode uh, issue, I mean, of course the Avengers win, they defeat the Masters, and it ends up with a Captain America and Zemo final battle, and Cap just, just lays into him because you know all this pent up frustration of uh, like when they they destroyed all of Captain America's memories and stuff, like they burned his pictures, they destroyed his shield, um, you know Brutal. things like that. Brutal. Yeah, yeah, and the best part about all this is is a few years later. We'd see the Masters of Evils again, but we didn't know we saw them again until the end of the issue of Thunderbolts number one. Awesome. I almost and brought that, that one up. Oh, yeah. Well, that was a great, great storyline. The Thunderbolts Thunderbolts was advertised as a, as a new team of heroes. And at the end of issue number one, spoiler alert, you find <laughs> out that they're all you find out that they're all they were members of Masters of Evil led by Baron Zemo. They just put on different costumes and used different code names. They, were, <laughs> they, they weren't trying to be good. They were like infiltrating the good guys. What a great story. Kurt Busiek, actually. That was great. Yeah. Yep. When was the big reveal in that one? It wasn't... It, wasn't, um... it was the end of issue one. It was at the end of issue one? Yeah. They actually premiered the Hulk issue as a superhero team. Then they got their own issue, number one. And at the end of it is when they, they revealed it. How awesome is that? It was really good. But you read the Masters of Evil, the Under Siege, right? Yeah, it was fun. Like I said, the, the thing you remember the most is Jarvis getting his butt kicked. Yeah, well, he was in the hospital for, like, many issues after that. Yeah, and if, you know, listeners don't even know who Jarvis is, he's basically just a butler, like Alfred, essentially. Yeah, Jarvis was not a, a voice or a computer program by, by Toy Star. <laughs> he was an actual person. He was an actual person, and the, they come in and just beat the snot out of him. Yeah, they'd be delivering crap out of him. <laughs> uh, and, it, and it turned into a change of um, a flipping over of, of the team. I think the Wasp, a lot of the a lot of the heroes that were on the team at the time left. Um, and Dr. Drew became a member. I thought he was a weak, weak member. The writing really, for me, went down after that. Uh, issue 300 was garbage. So you're only about... What do you think? Was there a change of writers at the time? Yeah, they, they did change writers. Um, mm -hmm. Roger Stern... I don't know when he left, um, but yeah, when 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 they got up to around three hundred, about twenty issues later, it was it was really bad. Like Dad, I think three hundred was when Sue. Yeah, this this is the team on, you know, issue three hundred, right? Mm -hmm. You think it'd be a big deal? This was the team as of issue three hundred. It's uh, Thor, Mister Fantastic, Invisible Woman. Captain America, but he was the captain. Remember, he had the black costume because oh, yeah. he quit being Captain America. Mm -hmm. And they introduced a new guy called Gilgamesh, who was That's almost just like Thor. That's terrible. His team was awful. And at one and, and after the, the um, a little bit after the Masters of Evil storyline, uh, Doctor Drew became the, the the team leader for some reason. And he, I think, he turned out to be like a like a bad guy or something. That's yeah, guy, I, yeah. After three hundred, I was like on and off with the Avengers, <laughs> but up up until from yeah, Avengers was one of my favorite books at the time. But they just got weird. No, that's a great no, storyline. Yeah, yeah, it was great. Yeah, Masters of Evil, and if they could somehow incorporate that into um, the movies, that'd be awesome. Oh, what do you what do you mean? The Wrecking Crew you, invading the. Well, wouldn't you love to see an, a a movie, an Avengers movie, where they're on that, they're on that. Uh, Tony Stark base like in upstate New York and they're just being attacked like almost like they're trapped in in the base no I think that's a good idea because so yeah. far with Avengers we haven't seen like a group of bad guys it's always been like one person Loki Ultron Thanos like right. we need to see like a group that can rival the Avengers where they have their you know opponents and they can fight one on one so yeah that would be cool if, if they were to implement that. Yeah, and you just get the bad guys to, to band together. You bring back, you bring, you bring back Killmonger. You get the Vulture. You get, um, you know, you get the Red Skull off whatever planet he's on. You can get something together. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. So many good storylines. There's only so, so little time. <laughs> Yeah, and I'll tell you what, Under Siege is one one of the reasons I love the Black Knight. He's one, he's still one of my favorite heroes. 
Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, not that he did anything super spectacular, but I just love that he was part of the of the team at that time. The Ebony Blade. It's the Ebony Blade. Okay, my next one. This one came out. Let's see. I don't even know what year this came out. This was... I don't know. You can help me out. This is something written by Grant Morrison. Art okay. by Howard Porter. Oh, I know what this is. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> JLA World Order. What was it? This must have been eighty late 90s? Maybe late 90s. I'm guessing late 90s. Anyway, what, what makes this book really awesome is you know i guess they they rebooted the justice league and i'm not a dc guy is it 97 yeah i'm not a dc guy but if you had to start someplace this was a great starting point because they've they've always had like different iterations of the jail like just like the avengers but this this is the first time that i that i know where they had like all the core cool superheroes all in one book. You had Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, Flash. You had Aquaman. You had Martian Manhunter. You had Green Lantern. I mean, that was the core of the Justice League of America. And, and you know, very similar to other things you've read, like 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 you said with um, with Thunderbolts. Essentially, there's this alien race called the Hyper Clan. And they come off like they're, like, you know, good and they're superhuman and they're good guys and stuff. And I'm not too sure who was kind of skeptical i don't know if it's superman or batman but it turns out that they were spoiler alert martian were they they were martians right they were white martians yeah they were white martians and what's so cool about this book it's like if, if you had like one of those moments of a of a superhero that just really stands out there's there's a part where uh, it's batman versus these martians whatever and they're basically saying, well, he's just human. He's nothing, right? And one of the weaknesses of these Martians is fire. So <laughs> Batman takes out his utility belt, like lighter fluid or something, and just does like a, he just kind of like encircles them all with, with lighter fluid. And then he lights a match or something. And he's like, let's do this, you know? And, 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 and like, they don't really show the fight, but you just know Batman just kicked their ass. <laughs> and it's it's such a good storyline. Uh, I think this the storyline story line ran for maybe a year or so. Or maybe less, maybe six. No, it's four issues, dude. Was it four issues? Yeah. Oh, yeah. it was such a good storyline. And this is at a time where Aquaman lost his hand. He had a harpoon for a hand. And uh, I think the Green Lantern was Kyle Rayner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, Molly West was the Flash. Molly West was the Flash. So it's, it's a really good Justice League group. Um, the art on it is really fantastic, too. So, like, if you ever wanted, like, a good Justice League book, this is it. Four issues. You can find me a trade paperback. You can't grow. It is so exciting. I remember reading this and thinking like, this, how this guy wrote this book was like I was watching a movie. You know, like if the Justice League movie, it's a freaking Justice League movie that just came out a couple years ago was like this. I'd be stoked, you know? Yeah, I, I mean, the, the thing, Grant Morrison's run on Justice League was one of the best. And it was it was known as JLA. He even called it Justice League. He just called it JLA. Mm-hmm. And they, it, it's one of the best runs of Justice League ever. I mean, that's up there with, um, who's it? Um, Geffen, Geffen and DeMattis, I think, with um, Justice League uh, Europe and International. Oh, yeah. The JLI. Yeah. Right. I mean, as funny, as funny as those books were, that's how awesomely, ridiculously awesome. <laughs> The, the Grant Morrison JLA was. He made that. He, he along with um, Frank Miller, created the Batman we know today. Like he made Batman that badass. He he emphasized that he was human and that people always underestimated him, but he was always the one with the right answers. And there was there's that one panel at the end of one of the issues where he goes, "I know your secret." Like he's talking <laughs> to the Martian because people, you know, they still thought they were these superheroes. Right. And he goes, "I know what your I know what your secret is." And you're like, oh boy, Batman's about to start something. You know, and, when uh, I read this JLA book, this was the first time when I was thinking, damn, DC's their superheroes are untouchable. Like when you when you had the debate, DC versus Marvel or the JLA versus Avengers, are you kidding me? The JLA will mop the floor against the they Avengers. They're so powerful. Oh, yeah, it's insane, insane. This and JLA thing, group was ridiculous. Yeah, and and Morrison's thing was like. If you're, if I'm going to do the world's greatest super team, they're going to have the world's greatest superheroes on it. That's why he didn't have any of these 
fillers on there, these lesser powered people. Right. And he goes, I'm going to go with the big seven. It's a pantheon, you know. It's like the Greek god pantheon. It's yeah. Like yeah. 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 And, and that's the thing, you, you know, you, you think it's like, uh, it's not a long story. It's four issues. But it was really uh, his run, his first, I would say his first year was just a great run on that. Oh, um, yeah. Title because he had the um, yeah, his second story when he had the angels like mm-hmm. Zoriel, yeah, that was a great story, like a war in heaven, that was great. Um, and he had to deal with, you know, I had to, he, he introduced an Injustice League, I think, or whatever you call it, with Luther and Joker. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. It was uh, his first year, two years was awesome. It's so good, it's so so yeah. good. I mean, this is a this is a high, high recommend if you wanted a good, juicy Justice League book. Not the stupid movie that we got recently. This <laughs> one kicks butt. Kicks yeah, butt. Bam is just scary I, in this. He's so I scary think, in this. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I think Porter was on top of his game at this point. Right. Um, yeah. He introduced, you know, he introduced Prometheus, who was a guy that could, he was like the evil ver- version of Batman. You like how Batman never loses. This guy could, like, Prometheus is almost impossible to beat. You know, um, yeah. just, just a great. It's a great run. Awesome. Go out there and like, you know, we said in the beginning of the show, you know, you should go out there and buy these trade paperbacks, but yeah, you should definitely buy these trade paperbacks. <laughs> Grant Morrison, Howard Borders, JLA. You can't lose. That That's Not a win. You. That's a win. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. What else? What else you got? All right. I got, I'm going to go with, okay. And X-Men 190 and 191. This is a two issue series. I mean, story. It's written by Chris Claremont with art by John Romano Jr. And the villain is uh, a guy called Colin Gath. G-A-T-H. And I had to look him up. Um, what what issues are these? Uh, X-Men 190 and 191. Okay. So I looked him up because I had never heard of him before. And I haven't. I don't know that he's been in much since. But apparently he was a Conan the Barbarian villain. Oh. Which, which makes sense now as I remember the story. So... What he, he's like a wizard. He's like a, a wizard and he casts a spell over Manhattan and it's surrounded by like this like magical green wall. And inside, everybody in Manhattan is transformed into people from like Conan's time. You know, instead of guns, they had swords and they dressed, you know, half naked and uh, just things like that. Even And the best part about – one of the best parts about this story is, you know, you and I always love when uh, a comic kind of – kind of pay pays homage to the bigger universe how you know if, if you're reading avengers and, and and daredevil swings by in a panel or something you know right. well this comic even though it was an excellent comic incorporated almost every marvel hero on manhattan so the avengers all changed to this like barbarian state and they kind of lost their memories too like they might have known they were good they might have known they were heroes but you know they, they didn't know they didn't know that they were misplaced in time and that a spell had been cast on them. Mm-hmm. Um, but you had the Hellfire Club. You had the New Mutants were in this. Um, the Avengers were in it. Spider-Man is in it. And for some reason, Colin Gath didn't change Spider-Man's memory. You know, He let him remember who he was and that he was out of place because uh, he had a bone. He, he had some kind of personal vendetta against Spider-Man from earlier. Right. And I picked the story because this is one of – for me, this is one of the most defining – Spider-Man moments. I remember reading it as a kid thinking, oh my god, Spider-Man's a badass. <laughs> so, they capture they capture Peter Parker. Uh, the, you know, they, the, the wizard's torturing him and doing all this horrible stuff to him. He eventually crucifies him. He puts him on a, on a cross and crucifies him um, onto the cross and he's just beat to hell. His, you know, his costume's ripped. Half his... Mask is ripped because he's face, right? And and he's the only one that speaks English. Everyone's speaking whatever the old timey Conan language is. Mm. But he's on there and he figures something out about how to beat Colin Gath. It has, has to do with the amulet around his neck. And so the heroes are attacking, and Spider Man figures this out as he's on this cross in, in like Colin Gath's throne room. And he's like, I have to help them. I have to. I have to let them know how to defeat them. To the point where he's pulling himself off the cross wow and he breaks the cross and he comes off the cross and and this way claremont he goes flesh tears bones break but spider-man whatever however he says spider-man makes it off the cross but he breaks the cross and he's 
crawling toward him. It's the amulet around his neck. He's trying to get the amulet, and he's yelling, get the amulet, you know, it's the amulet. And he reaches Colin Gaff, and Colin Gaff just starts to laugh at him. He goes, you forget. No one knows or understands a word you're saying. And then he goes, I've, I've had my phone with you. And, he, like, he does something to where he has, like, a, his brain hemorrhages, and he dies. Damn. And it was one of the best Spider-Man moments ever. And and that's the thing. There are real stakes in this, in these two issues, because people died. Like, heroes died. And um, I think Colossus gets killed in it. A couple of Morlocks get killed. And, and, you know, it ends with Doctor Strange saving the day, and everybody forgets what happened. He returns everything back to normal, and everybody forgets what had happened. But for those two issues, it was, it was some of the most... And it wasn't even truly that graphic, but it was some of the most death... Uh, the, the stakes are so high for the heroes and you're like what's gonna happen next wow and then you get that, then you get that peter parker spider-man moment which i thought was awesome that's cool i never heard of this storyline yeah Colin yeah it's two issues just kind of popped up never made a big deal out of but one of my favorites that's awesome that's a good find you gotta hook me up with that one <laughs> uh, i'll see what i can do yeah wink wink okay <clears throat> that's a good one yeah i de- dude i need to read that <laughs> like majorly <laughs> okay my next one is this one came out i think in early 2000 it it ran for a couple years and i i remember getting this not as single issues but when they used to you know kind of combine them in a trade paperback so i would get like four in a row it was my way of binging at the time uh this book was written by uh brian k vaughn i think it is yeah brian k vaughn uh and it's called why the last man uh why the last man is a story about um, back in 2002, all living mammals with the Y chromosome died. So that's every anything with a Y chromosome died, right? So embryo, sperm, everything, everything dies suddenly, except one guy and his freaking monkey. And it's a story based, and so the whole world just goes in disarray because lots of deaths happen. You know, like if if let's say there is a a guy flying a plane, well, guess what? There's no pilot, right? So there, mm. there was a lot of uh, post-apocalyptic things going on at the time period. It's a really interesting story because this guy, I think his name is Yorick. Anyway, it's right. It's, yeah, Yorick. Is Yorick? Yorick is yeah. Yeah. And it, the, the, his his drive is really cute. It's kind of like. He was in love with this girl. I think she was in Australia. <laughs> and essentially, he's like the last man on earth. And through his travels, trying to reach reach her and stuff, he's kind of like, no, 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 I'm saving my, myself for her. And I remember the character's like, you know you're like the only man on earth. <laughs> you know, why are you saving yourself for this one person? But that's basically his whole story. And, and it goes on for, again, this was 2002 to 2008. So this, this takes a, a long while, but... All the stories are fantastic. They really talk about what happened to him and and how the world really changes too. Like there are different groups, and even though it was a world of all women, there was different. Um, uh, let's say there was the aggressors also, and and number really sympathetic with with what was going on, and, and the the world kind of just went on, and and Yorick is just trying to make his way from I think it was in America all the way to Australia and stuff, and. I think he makes it. You know, it's, it's been a while since I read this book. Um, but it is pretty neat. It's, it was a good story. And I think I think they're going to make this into a movie. I think. I, I think mean, it's going to be a TV, TV show. I is think. it a TV show? Man, that, yeah. it, I, I hope, I hope they, it, they pull through and it, it really mimics a comic book because this is a very, very good story. But it is huge. It's not a storyline. I mean, it's, it's the run. It's called, like I said, Why the Last Man. Um it can find it, pick it up. It's 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 a it's a big read, but I think it's a good read. Or wait for the TV show. I guess you can do that too. Yeah, no, it was a really good. It was a really good. Uh, a read. It's uh, he had a monkey too. Was it the monkey and male? Yeah, ampersand. Am- ampersand. Yeah. yeah, it was just him and his and monkey. I don't know if they ever figure out what happened. I, you know, because at some point he was being escorted by like a secret service agent or something. Yeah. And yeah, I think his mom actually became president of the United States also. Uh, she was a member of yeah. Congress and all the men died. So yeah. <laughs> she became the president. Yeah. It's an interesting so, story. It's a great premise and, and it was written very well. Brian K. Vaughan has got a few of those stories. Um, yeah. Yeah. Very good. Why the, why the Last Man is very, very good. I enjoyed that a lot. Yeah. All right. My final one is uh, is very well known. I, I, we, we briefly mentioned it on our most recent Week of Geek. 
Um, but that's why I want to talk about that. It's Crisis on Infinite Earths. It came out in 1985. It was a totally issue maxi series by DC. DC was celebrating its, I believe, 50th anniversary around this time. And they wanted to clean up their continuity. You know, Superman Batman had been around since the late 30s. Um, and they had different versions of Superman, Batman, of, of the major heroes. So they wanted to kind of clean up their continuity. They had, through 50 years of writing, they had created all these alternate Earths. So the story is basically, uh, you know, a major bad guy is trying to destroy all the Earths. And one by one, the universes are being eaten by antimatter. And um, the bad guy's counterpart, the Monitor, uh, or, you know, gets together, organizes all the superheroes to fight back and um, try to stop it. And I'm not going to go into it because I want everybody to read it, but I just want to highlight some of the best parts of it. The first first time superheroes ever died that I read about, like like named superheroes. And it was just, I mean, first of all, it was by Marv Wolfman and, and uh, George Perez. So we knew the artwork was fantastic. We knew the writing was going to be fantastic. Every issue, the stakes were raised. Every issue, you didn't know what was going to happen. Uh, in issue seven, Supergirl dies. And one of the greatest superhero deaths ever, trying to save Superman. Uh, in issue eight, the Flash dies in another great superhero death where he has to destroy a huge cannon to save, you know, like five Earths. Um, what makes it even great better is that even after they kind of stop that process from happening around issue nine, that's when all the bad guys decide to band together and try to take over the five Earths. So now the heroes have to fight the normal bad guys too, like Luther and Brainiac and things like that. And they organize and they take out heroes. You know, Aqualad's girlfriend, um, Aqua Girl, uh, winds up getting killed by Chemo. Um, the, the villains do some real damage and they win in some places and lose in others. And it's just, uh, just a great, great story. It, it ends with the five Earths that they say is being merged into one. So you kind of had heroes left on the planet from all the different, um, all the different Earths being you know, on one Earth in one DC universe now. Uh, the original Superman from 1939 and his wife Lois go off into a pocket dimension with uh, Superboy, who kind of didn't fit anywhere uh, after they helped save the Earth. And um, that came back to bite them later with a different crisis with Superboy punching Jason Todd back to life, punching <laughs> uh, the reality. That's all another nonsense story. But yeah, Crisis was a game changer for someone that was just reading comics starting comics it, it blew me away because the only thing i knew about dc was super friends and whatever I could, you know cartoons and tv shows there were at the time you know wonder woman tv show superman movie batman from 1966 that kind of stuff right and um i, I mean it just blew me away and it, it it was pretty much published the same time as marvel secret wars which was awesome in its own right but crisis just blows secret wars away i think i agree <laughs> yeah no, those that's an all, dude. That's what I'm, I'm saying, man. It seems like the really, like memorable storylines, all happened kind of around that time period. It's really interesting. Really yeah, interesting. I mean, yeah. they were taking a lot more chances in the '80s. I mean, because remember that's when Watchmen came out. That's when the Killing Joke came out. You know, these are huge, huge stories. And I think this that I think the '80s are when the comics matured a lot more too, because they were you know up, up until around then, they were the Hey chum and hey pal, you know that type of type of thing. Yeah, uh, you know they they delved a little bit into mature storylines. You know the seventies did have, you know the death of Gwen Stacy. The seventies did have, um, you know Roy Harper becoming a drug addict. Uh, you know they, they moved back and forth, but for the most part, I think the eighties is when the adult reader really became a thing. I think comic shops got huge in the eighties, and um, the writing just changed and became more mature for a lot of these things. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, the the last one I, want, I, want, I was going to bring up, but I'm really not going to talk about it because it's going to be coming up in one of the new Marvel movies coming out. But the, the last one I was going to bring up was Secret Invasion. And that storyline blew my mind. It's probably one of the current storylines that, that, that I've enjoyed in a sense that uh, it's, it's, well, like I said, they're going to bring it up in the next Captain Marvel movie where... We think. We don't know. <laughs> we saw Scrolls. 
Yeah. But, oh, okay. You know. I see what you mean. All right. That's true. Yeah. We are getting introduced to scrolls in the next Captain Marvel movie, but essentially in Secret Evasion, you know, you have all. The, can you imagine you're reading all these comic books of the Avengers, Spider-Man, all these heroes for so many years, and all of a sudden, I think Elektra dies, and it turns out she's a oh, scroll. Oh, that's right. Yeah, it was Elektra. Yeah. yeah. Elektra dies again. Right? <laughs> Elektra yeah, dies again. It turns out that she's a scroll, and you're like, wait, what? And it's really interesting. I remember reading this article when Brian Michael Bendis took over the Avengers. I think from his very first issue, he was dropping hints that some of the characters were scrolls. And how he did that was how I don't remember who the artist was, but whoever was drawing it, like if they if they drew like Elektra for one panel, one panel only, Elektra would have green eyes. And this is like ten years before the reveal. Talk about like a freaking buildup. And if you were to follow that, like that, that, like to look back, you'd be like, oh my God. Like it, he actually revealed it way back then, but you know, back then, like the coloring and comic books wasn't perfect and stuff. And who would look at the color of someone's eyes? Right. But he was dropping all these really, I'm talking tiny, tiny hints since he took on Avengers. And it was a kick in the stomach. You're like, oh my God. I think Hank, Hank Pym was a scroll, right? Electra was a scroll. I mean, there are actually a handful of superheroes that you've been reading for the last decade. Yeah, Mockingbird was a scroll. Mockingbird was a scroll. We're not the actual heroes. I mean, it was one of those things. Where I'm like, you gotta be kidding me, you know? And I, I, my, my head exploded after that. So I remember, like, when the, when Captain Marvel the movie coming out, and we saw a scroll. I'm thinking, oh man, can you imagine if one of the original Avengers was a scroll? Like, if it was Hawkeye. I mean, or Scarlet Witch. I mean, a character that you've been watching this for the last 10 years wasn't really who you thought they were. I think that would be insane. Yeah, I mean, the the funny thing is, Scrolls have been around since Fantastic Four, like one, two, or three. I can't remember where they, they debuted, but uh, people were thinking, I mean, it's such an obvious story and no one thought of it until, whatever, 10, 10 15 years ago. And, you know, why wouldn't the Scrolls of shape-shifting species infiltrate the earth that way and it made total sense um but yeah the build-up the way the way it looked at uh not you know who could you trust because it wasn't just heroes too it was like people close to the heroes yeah they replaced um they infiltrated all over the place so it was really uh i think wasn't alicia masters one yes. she at one point <laughs> married johnny storm yeah it's a skull yeah, yeah. <laughs> nuts but again if you if you thought like i'm again if you were to look back to those previous issues he said like he said i've I've been dropping hints for the last 10 years and then you know like in comic books they'll say go back to avengers blah 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 you know that number and sure enough he was right you know i I love it i love it that's that's comic books man you can't you couldn't do that in a movie you couldn't do that in a tv show it can only be it can only happen in comic books you know so uh, I'm looking online. It says Spider Woman, Hank Pym, Black Bolt, Elektra, various agents of Shield, Jarvis, Dum Dum Dugan, and um, after Civil War they were going to try to put a scroll on every 50 state superhero team. Insane. And then there was a bunch of because I remember. Oh, you know what? what was, they thought they were dead because I think Nightwing. Uh, not Night. Oh, jeez. Um, <laughs> Mockingbird had died. But there was a scene I remember in the series where a scroll ship lands and all these heroes come off the ship because they had been captured. Yeah. yeah, and I think Mockingbird was among them. So there were even heroes that had that were replaced and wound up like, dying as scroll as heroes that were really scrolls that died. Oh, it was crazy. So cool. <laughs> very very cool. And I think that was like an only like a maybe a four to six issue run, and they had you know little offsprings and in, in the individual bugs and stuff, but. The trade paperbacks is is a really that's a high recommend too. Secret Invasion, awesome. I have to read that again. I don't think I read it again. I've read it more than once. Oh really? Yeah. Yeah. I just remember just reading that and being like, "Wow, that's so awesome!" You know, so so cool to be duped for so long, and and it's neat. Again, like uh, that. That's the beauty of having like a writer that has like a long run, like Larry Hama, right? And like Brian mm-hmm. Michael Bendis, he can plant these seeds over like a ten-year time period or whatever he was writing Avengers for, and play around with those ideas. And to think that he had this running in his head, you know, 
like I said, like 10 years prior before its release, the fact that he was planning this, that guy's crazy. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. Very, very cool. Okay. Yeah. And, and, and the thing is, do you think, let me ask this, if the MCU does adopt this, is it ruined because we read the stories? No, probably not, right? No, not at all. Because we knew, we knew Infinity Gauntlet. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. We knew exactly yeah. what was going to happen. So, no, I but don't it, think it ruins it. Yeah, it's funny because we almost have our expectations up that, you know, Endgame's going to end with some kind of like, you know, a hero, a dead hero turning green or something like that, or someone's <laughs> eyes flashing green. Yeah. We're like, oh, it's an evasion. <laughs> See, I think that's what's, I think that's going to be neat with Marvel, like to to keep things fresh because you and I have talked about the superhero bubble going to burst one of these days. I mean, to do things that's, that's unexpected, I think that's what what makes it really good like even though we knew how how infinity war was going to end i still didn't know what was going to happen that it was going to end on that kind of a note and that's what makes it so good you know it makes that movie so memorable so hopefully they i don't know if they do something like this i'm gonna be mind blown absolutely mind blown definitely so these are just some some of the many 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 great stories you and i've read throughout our lifetimes i could uh, you know we might even wind up doing another another one of these episodes sometime in the future because there's so many great storylines we can talk about but again these uh, for me they were under underappreciated not well known just part of regular runs no big fanfare no ads put out except for maybe crisis um and if you're just a reader a uh, regular reader of comics this is what we were getting back in there we were getting these kind of great stories with no no hike and cover price no special foil edition cover no uh you know, no months and months of build up for it. It's just like, boom, this is the new issue of X-Men. Look how great the story is. Going you know, to be. what's cool, too, during that time period before Wizard, right? Wizard, Wizard was that comic book magazine, the comic magazine. right? You would have no idea what was going to come out, you know? Yeah. yeah. Like when Gwen Stacy died, you're like, what the? F-? <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> what just happened? You know, there is no warning to it. So, I mean, well, I guess that's why there is a higher collectability value to it because I'm sure the print one would probably be the same. Right. Yeah. Right. And I'm telling you, you know, like your Hulk issue, which isn't worth a lot. I don't think you could probably get the GI Joes pretty cheap. You could definitely uh, the Avengers Under Siege might be a little pricey. The actual issues, but they're def- that's definitely out on trade paperback, and maybe even the X Men, you might be able to get a decent price too on mine. I mean, yeah. um, and your Secret Invasion is a trade paperback. JLA is collected as a trade paperback. Um, uh, the What If, you can probably find it in a trade paperback. So these are all readily available. And, you know, do what I do. Go to Barnes Zone and treat it like a library. <laughs> Just sit there and read, get a latte and read. <laughs> Very cool. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Do you have any thank yous? Uh, just the one. One person liked us recently on Anchor. And it's JK. JK. Okay. J A Y K. So thank you, J K. Uh, he's got a history podcast. Um, I'm curious to see. I don't think it's our friend Jay, but it'd be funny if it was our, our friend Jay. Did you give him a listen? Uh, uh, no, he didn't publish anything yet. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> On Instagram, we have, let's see, casual observers. Hello there. And Hello. we have Jay Stecky, who actually, I kind of know him. <laughs> So, That's fine. Uh, yeah, thank you for following, following us on Instagram. Well, where can people find us, Alan? Yeah, Anchor FM, Nerdemy, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube. We're there. We're everywhere. Okay, this is Alan signing off. Martha, peace. peace.